Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Monday, January the 13th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we have a long 3,000-word article on LockedOnDolphins.com to cover. We're previewing the 2020 offseason along the offensive line. We'll assess the current assets, take a look at the free agent market, and draft prospects at both tackle and inside on the interior. Plus, making the playoffs in 2008 and 2016 were hindrances for the organization. I'll explain why. And we'll go over divisional round weekend, including a nice little victory lap for your boy. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. We have been in the top 200 since the season ended every single day. Keep that going. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. Check out the show at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back. And LockedOnDolphins.com is the number one site for all your daily information and analysis on the Miami Dolphins, including the off-season preview, position by position. Let's go. That's another Miami Dolphins. And we start right away in the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com, taking a look at the offensive line. We have done quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, and tight ends already. We'll get to the defensive side later this week on the podcast. And going into the 2019 season, The offensive line was always going to be an issue, even with Pro Bowl left tackle Laramie Tunzel in tow. The Dolphins, of course, traded the tackle for quarterback prices, two first-round picks and a second-round pick next season. And Brian Flores spoke every single day at training camp about the importance of the offensive line playing as a singular unit and having a star single player having basically a marginal impact on the rest of the line if the rest of the line is not good enough. We've seen the Patriots take that approach year after year after year. They allow offensive line and to leave that program all the time, especially on the outside. Guys like Nate Solder, for instance, they go on to greener pastures in terms of their pocketbook and the Patriots pick right back up where they left off the year before because they are mostly solid across the line at all five positions, if unspectacular at any of the five spots, although we'll talk about a very good left guard in this article coming up here soon. The Dolphins had Jesse Davis go wire to wire for the second straight season. Last year, right guard. This year, right tackle. And this will be an important year for Davis as he's owed basically three and a half million dollars each year for the next three seasons. There's an out in his contract after this season for just two million dollars in dead cap space. So if he does not play well in 2020, Miami can then move on from the right tackle or try to put him in another position inside at guard and keep him there for a low cost as well. Big year for Jesse Davis. We know about Michael Dieter as kind of the next guy in line in terms of developing into something quality on this line for Miami. I think Evan Bames in that group as well. And then from there, it gets a little bit dicey as we jump into the incumbents and we go right back to Jesse Davis. 42 total pressures. 10 of those came in December with no sacks and just three hits down that stretch in the final five games. He played 975% of the offensive snaps for the Dolphins this year. 
and his struggles come against speed rushers, although he did improve in that regard down the stretch of the season with good games against the Eagles and Bengals, who do have some good speed rushers off that size, off that side rather. Davis does have the size and athleticism profile the Dolphins like at the position. I think he'll be your starting right tackle in 2020. Michael Dieter, the next guy on the list, left guard, had 44 total pressures, six sacks, 15 hits, had a 42.5 grade. That's 113 out of 119 guards he graded out on Pro Football Focus, played 995 snaps, and he was just a little bit over his skis too often in pass protection. He was confused by games and stunts and twists and all the stuff a defensive line can throw at you. He fell off blocks too much in the running game, but I did think he was good as a pulling guard. He was good in space, and he's good at his initial hand placement. He just tends to fall off blocks too much. I would not call the coroner, so to speak, right now on Michael Dieter's career. Give him time to develop. I think he could be a quality and interior starter for you down the road. At worst, a good swing guy off the bench down the road. Daniel Kilgore, the center, 19 pressures, three sacks, four hits, was 19th out of 50 graded centers on pro football focus, played 877 snaps. And the issue I have with Kilgore is twofold. One, he does not hold up well against power. And it seems like he runs into power players all the time. And number two, he just is not capable of those reach blocks they want to hit in this zone scheme. And it leaves a lot of penetration on the interior against the run. I think that's where a lot of the Dolphins' run issues come is from that center position. I think Miami needs an upgrade right here. They can cut ties for no cost and save themselves $3.5 million in cash owed next season if Dan Kilgore sticks around. Dion Shaq Calhoun played just 471 snaps, 18 pressures, 2 sacks, 3 hits, 109th of 119 guards. So you see why the Dolphins struggled so much. Their guards were near the bottom, pretty much across the board. And while some undrafted rookies hit right away, there is a development period that has to happen here for a guy like Shaq Calhoun, and it just didn't happen. He struggled to create any push in the running game, any sort of nuance in terms of picking up disguised blitzes or gifted pass rushers one-on-one. He put the right side B-gap in constant peril this year, and I think he has a chance to develop as a bench player in the future for Miami. Julian Davenport, left tackle, won't spend a lot of time here. Six sacks, nine hits in just eight games, played 534 snaps left several games injured, and was just a total liability off that left side all year long. Keaton Sutherland allowed five pressures in just 93 snaps this year. He was the 106th graded guard out of 119, and he came in for the one game that Dieter did not start against the Jets and gave you some sixth offensive lineman and heavy packages in terms of coming onto the field for those plays. He'll be back in camp, but he's got an uphill climb for me to make this roster. Danny Isadora, remember him? He was back healthy for the first three games of the year, got hurt, played 127 snaps, allowed five total pressures. He was 85th out of 119 guards in those short period of time. He's a thick body with sweet feet, but he struggles against any semblance of a bull rush. He should have much more power in the way he gets out of that stance, but he's so wide and can be knocked off balance at times. He has the makeup to develop into a quality player, I think. It just hasn't happened yet for the former Miami Hurricane. Adam Pankey was added off the waiver wire after being cut from Green Bay. He played 12 snaps. Basically, it was a six offensive lineman into the game. He has a chance to work out a role next year as a swing tackle if he improves. Jamarcus Webb was number 126 of 126 tackles to be graded on Pro Football Focus. He'll be gone as well. Futures contracts, Chidi Okiki and Derval Neto, the Brazilian-born player that's here for the International Pathway Program. Those guys are both on futures deals. Miami has exclusive rights free agents in Evan Bame, who allowed 
124 total pressures on 595 snaps, just one sack all year. He was the 104th guard out of 119. I thought he played his best ball at center, although he only played there for a little bit of time when Kilgore was down. That was his best tape with the Colts back in 2018. I think he has a shot to compete for backup duty or maybe an outside shot as a starter in 2020. And then Evan Brown, the last guy, a restricted free agent as well. He played 38 snaps as a waiver claim from the Giants midseason. So the Dolphins have plenty of things they're going to have to address on this portion of the team this year, this offseason. Plenty of guys who played a little bit, but really are unknown names. So we have a lot to unpack on the offensive line, including the free agent market, both at tackle and the interior offensive line, as well as the draft prospects. And we'll predict who the starting line and backup players are in 2020. All of that coming here next on the podcast. But first, a word from Echelon. Go to echelonfit.com to discover their X1 connected fitness bikes that offer a high quality at-home cycling experience at less than half the price of a Peloton. You don't have to join a gym or pay a bunch of money on overpriced fitness equipment to get fit in 2020. The best way to get in the best shape of your life is with Echelon. Echelon makes beautifully engineered products for everyone. Busy moms and dads, going to be me here soon. First responders and elite athletes like I know all of you guys out there are. Whatever your activity level, Echelon has the program for you. And with daily live on-demand studio classes right in your home, you'll never have to step foot in a gym. You'll love Echelon, but if you aren't 100% satisfied, we'll give you your money back. Join the hundreds of thousands of men and women who are getting fit with Echelon. Hey, don't pay a ton for Peloton. Buy an Echelon bike today for under $1,000. Just go to echelonfit.com slash LockedOnNFL and learn about their limited time free Apple iPad and the complete details for this exclusive offer, Echelon. It's your time. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N, fit.com slash locked on NFL, echelonfit.com slash locked on NFL. That opening segment was kind of a fire hose of information about the Dolphins' current offensive line and what they have in tow. And as you know, what we have in tow is not good enough to go into another season to expect any different results than basically the dead last ranked offensive line across the league, both in pass protection and in the running game. And so we head into the offseason with many needs, many questions, and many possible solutions as we go back now into the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com and take a look at the free agent market at tackle. And frankly, I don't know if this bears any fruit. The guy as we've been doing all week on these season preview series or off-season preview series, has taken a look at the top guy on the market, and that guy is Anthony Costanzo. I don't think he's getting out of Indianapolis. He's a good left tackle. Those guys tend to get re-signed there unless you get offered quarterback prices in a trade, but he's going to fetch top-of-the-market money, whether it's with the Colts or on the open market, and given the quality of this tackle class in the 2020 NFL Draft, I just don't see Miami going in that direction, but rather putting their money on the interior offensive line where... The draft is weak and free agency is loaded. So you go that direction for the Dolphins. Costanzo does have the size, length, athletic combination you desire for a premier left tackle. And he played at Boston College, which is Brian Flores' alma mater. But I don't think he comes to Miami in free agency. The more reasonable route is Seattle's George Fant. He is a mountain of a man. He played hoops in college. His first snap with the Seahawks was his first organized football game since the eighth grade. He's 27 years old, so it's entirely feasible that his best football is ahead of him. He'll start at left tackle today for the Seahawks in place of Dwayne Brown. He's been a swing tackle his entire 
entire career though, and he comes off the bench as that sixth offensive lineman, so he gives you value that way. He's the mid-range free agent buy that I think makes a lot of interest here for the Dolphins, and of course the athletic profile is big-time fit here in Miami. Is a big-time fit. The sleeper, LaAdrian Waddle from the Buffalo Bills, missed the entire year, played in the past with the Patriots. He's a career backup, although he has amassed 2,200 snaps since his 2013 debut. He's a low penalty guy, was flagged just three times during his two years with the Patriots. But this is a guy that's going to cost minimal money. Otherwise, you say no thanks because he's pretty much strictly a right tackle. Putting him as your swing tackle could be a cause for concern, but that's why he's the sleeper on this list. Other notable tackle free agents, Jack Conklin from the Titans. I think he's going to get way overpaid. No thank you. Andrew Whitworth is 77 years old. Kelvin Beecham, no thank you. Brian Belaga hurt every year. Greg Robinson, total bust. Marcus Gilbert, DeMar Dotson, 34 years old. Good player, but pretty old. Daryl Williams of the Panthers and Jermaine Effetti of the Seahawks. Again, the this tackle class is not good. Now the draft, very, very good. If Tristan Wirfs from Iowa comes out, he is the dude. He's that dude. He would be the best draft eligible tackle, I think. And if you're going to get him, you're going to have to use the fifth pick on him. So that's why I do not think he winds up in Miami, but he combines an unbelievably thick trunk and legs and quads and muscles with elite movement skills to wash out or condense the edge in the running game. And he mirrors and redirects on an island in pass protection. It's a lot of fun to watch. Played both tackle positions, almost exclusively a right tackle this year, but the experience shows up in his quickness of his kick slide and how much ground he covers with that first step. He's an elite prospect, a five-star blue chipper. The reasonable route and a player that I think winds up being a very good left tackle in the NFL is Makai Becton out of Louisville. And you watch the offensive line tape, and maybe it's not that much fun for a casual fan, but Becton makes it fun because he's going to get out in space and he's going to wipe out some poor, unassuming defensive back every single game. Six foot seven, 370 pounds, and he glides laterally like an elite pass rusher. Plenty of reach, powerful punch, has some of the most comical tape you've seen. Check him out on YouTube. It's hilarious. And Tua Tungavailoa, to me, is the favorite player of the entire draft to wind up in Miami like the odds on favorite are for Tua to be a Dolphin. Becton to me is second on that list. He fits everything Miami wants at a tackle. The sleeper Lucas Nyong from TCU he suffered a hip injury back in October. I gotta go edit the article and he will miss some time probably into camp maybe he's ready but if he's not that's why you get him for a steal on day two if not early on day three but he has the size length athletic profile again. The Dolphins covet. Six foot seven long wingspan sneaky athletic played all 13 games last year, has 40 total career games under his belt. He just latches onto guys and takes them for a ride. He could do some refinement and pass protection, but that's why you get him later and develop him. My tackle draft rankings, Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills go one and two. Andrew Thomas is number three. Makai Becton, number four. Lucas Nyong from TCU, number five. Austin Jackson out of USC is number six. Prince Tego Wanagu from Auburn, number seven. Josh Jones, Calvin Throckmorton, and Jack Driscoll round out the group. Let's move inside to the guard position. And we start with the guy at the free agent market. And my number one priority this offseason in free agency is signing left guard from New England, Joe Tooney. He's a day one splash signing. He's missed 15 snaps in the last three years combined. One of the best pass protecting left guards in football. His intelligence and leadership will improve your center's performance and it'll improve your left tackle's performance. And if Miami are going to have rookies at those spots conceivably, then it would make sense to have one of the best left guards in football in that position. You heard the story earlier. Skipped 11 questions on the 50-question Wonderlick and still got 39 questions right. 
batted 1,000 in the ones he did answer. He's familiar with the program. He's familiar with Brian Flores. This makes so much sense for the Dolphins to get this deal done if he shakes free. The reasonable route, Graham Glasgow in Detroit is a right guard slash center, but he might test the free agent market, and he played at Stephen Ross's alma mater in Michigan. He has 3,748 snaps under his belt in a four-year career, nearly identically split at left guard, center, and right guard, so he has the versatility. He committed just four fouls, did not allow a sack, and only put his quarterback in harm's way five times this year. No sacks, five QB hits. He finished as Pro Football Focus's seventh-ranked run-blocking guard on the year as well. The sleeper, center Ted Karras out of New England, filled in very admirably this year for David Andrews, who missed the entire season for the Patriots. And with Creed Humphrey going back to school and Tyler Bayadash's tape being basically, well, not very good, Ted Karras could be that solid player that you just plug in. Not going to elevate guys, but he could be a consistent, steady performer for you. He played 1,040 snaps this year and allowed just 14 pressures with three penalties on the entire season. Other notable interior options, Brandon Scherf from Washington, although he's hurt every single year, so I hesitate to give him big money. Andrus Pete from the Saints makes a lot of sense. I would keep an eye on him. Mike Upati's 34 for the Seahawks, but we'll see if he gets free. He's a great run-blocking left guard. Eric Flowers from Washington, he's bad. Quentin Spain from the Bills. Brett Jones from the Vikings is a center. And then Stefan Wisniewski and John Halapayo from the Chiefs and Giants, respectively. And as we change gears to the draft, I think there is just one guy at the center position that really makes sense for a day one plug and play first round prospect that you pick at center. And like Garrett Bradbury last year blew away the senior bowl for his football acumen and incredible work in space, Nick Harris might be even better operating in the open field and with his football IQ. Three-year starter, has guard and center experience, including three straight Apple Cup displays of dominance over my Washington State Cougs. Hashtag go Cougs. He's squatty, just a smidge over 300 pounds, but he can unlock his hips and use functional strength and flexibility to hit and hold those reach blocks and anchor against powerful pass rushers. Remember the things I talked about with Dan Kilgore where he struggles? Harris is better in both those areas. He's not going to be a man-gap scheme. He's a zone player through and through. The reasonable route back to guard is Oregon Shane Lemieux, who had the most impressive series I've seen from an offensive lineman this year against Arizona State. The video thread is up in the article. He is so adept at combination blocks and climbing to the second level. Never missed a game all four years at Oregon. He's seen every single blitz and game package the defensive line can throw at him, a product of his 51 straight starts there at Oregon. Not the most fluid athlete and probably won't do a bunch of pulling, but he's smart and he's a good pass protector and he can get push in the running game. The sleeper here back to center. Michigan Caesar Ruiz got a good look at him over the weekend. He's quickly rising up the draft boards and he was he got to Michigan as the top rated center recruit in the entire country. His best trait is the ability to reset and anchor after the initial move of the rusher and he pairs his functional strength with plus athleticism. He might go in the top end of the second round this year. He's trending in that direction. My 2020 interior offensive line draft rankings. Nick Harris from Washington. John Simpson out of Clemson a guard. Caesar Ruiz from Michigan, the center, Daryl Williams, Mississippi State's guard, and Jake Hansen, Oregon center. And I think besides the quarterback position, this area this offseason for Miami is the most critical because they have so many holes and they're probably going to use so many resources to try to fit these holes and get them corrected. 
The tackle market and free agency is lacking, but it is rich in the draft, and the converse is true of that on the interior. Not a lot of guards and centers in the draft, but free agency is loaded. So Miami is in a position where basically they could go out and draft Tua and get four offensive linemen to start in front of him and give them a year to build that cohesion and that continuity up front, and then you drop Tua in behind one of the league's better offensive lines next year. That's the plan, but the Dolphins could and should fix the offensive line this winter and spring, and my projection is this left tackle Makai Becton left guard Joe Tooney from New England they're going to go with Michael Dieter at center in this exercise as he develops Shane Lemieux from Oregon another rookie goes in at right guard Jesse Davis is your right tackle so Becton and Tooney and Lemieux your new additions Dieter kicks into center and then we're going to have George Fant as the swing tackle and sixth offensive lineman also can compete with Jesse Davis and Makai Becton for that matter Evan Bame your swing interior guy and Shaq Calhoun your eighth offensive lineman off the bench go check out the article LockedOnDolphins.com As I told you guys, that was a fire hose of information. Two full segments talking about the offensive line, but I think the options out there should have you excited. And if you're not excited yet, then you got to check out Blue Chew. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue, gives you the extra confidence in bed and brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime. Free agency, the draft, day two of the draft, undrafted free agency. However you get your kicks, Blue Chew can help you as well because even on a full stomach and because they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, it's cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we have a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first ship free when using our special promo code MLB. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code MLB to try it for free today. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We're going to talk about the hero of the Tennessee Titans season here in just one minute as we've kind of franken put together these podcasts on the weekend with divisional round playoffs and wildcard weekend last weekend as I'm talking to you guys right now about a half an hour before kickoff in that Kansas City and Houston game and we'll talk about the games that happened over the weekend here after this quick segment which kind of came up through the process of developing this 10-part series, or maybe it's a nine-part series, as we talk about the Dolphins' offensive and defensive positions, defense coming up later this week. But the larger point of the series is that these exercises, they don't just serve as an educational tool for the fans that don't have all these hours that I have to research, write, and publish this stuff and study this game so in-depth. It serves as a great knowledge base for me because it gives me a great deal of perspective with regards to what the market could look like and what the Dolphins could be looking Looking at on the open market at the position in general, and it also has helped me to see just how much flexibility the organization has this year, next year, and beyond with their approach to things in the offseason, and it brought me to this point. I've seen the point argued that Flores' first year should be taken with a grain of salt because of what we've seen from previous coaches in their first years in Miami, and just real quick, and we'll talk about all the horrible Tannehill takes we're getting on Twitter this weekend. Let's remember the importance 
of perspective. I can understand the pause over Adam Gase winning a bunch of games in 2016 because of missed field goals by the opposition, fluke pick sixes, a coach playing scared in overtime and punting on fourth down, or big kick returns late in the game. Whatever it was, you can point to several examples in 2016 as fluke victories, and you can do the same in 2008. Both teams had soft schedules. One of those teams had a bit of a gimmick offense in the Wildcat in 2008, and with that team, remember that Seattle game when Ricky Williams had a fumble late that could have put the Seahawks in position to win that game? The Dolphins were 5-4, and four, the Seahawks were 1-8 and eight at that time, or the fourth down conversion to Devon Best to save a potential loss to a Raiders team that would go 4-12 and 12 that year, or the heroics against bad Chiefs and Niners teams late in that season. The point is that those teams were propped up on fluky wins. They were 6, 7, maybe 8 win teams hidden in the mirage of a 10 or 11 win outfit. And the lack of perspective after those seasons concluded changed the approach of the ensuing offseason. And that's why I say it was a bad a bad thing to achieve playoffs in year one under those two coaches who really needed a lot more of a foundational period to build up the team opposed to going for the splash signings to try to go from a playoff team to a championship contender. You can't just skip those steps even if your results are better because remember, Good results do not excuse poor process, and that's what I love about the current position of this Dolphins football team, the flexibility, as Chris Greer said, quote, to do whatever we want, end quote. They don't have to force the issue. They don't have to make the desperation plays. They're in such a secure position and one that's so unique in this league of win now, do things right now. Flores' team only won five games, and we've been over the challenges of this roster and how impressive it was that he won those five games, but each of those five victories were decisive in nature. You can't point to any one of those games and say Miami were lucky to win. They were the better team in all five games. In fact, the next step for this young roster is probably learning how to close out games that I think you didn't have your A game with in that contest, like Washington, the first Buffalo game, the second Jets game, maybe even the Pittsburgh game on Monday night. Hell, with Gaze or Sperano's luck, this team could have won nine games, but instead, they believed they were better than they were those two years, and they went out and signed band-aids like Jabril Wilson, Joe Berger, Jake Grove. They drafted Pat White in the second round to help add an element to their gimmick package opposed to taking a potential pillar player in that second round. Connor Barwin and Max Unger both went just a few picks later for a team that desperately needed outside rush and some help at center. In 2017, exact same deal. Resign Andre Branch to $9 million per year. Wow. And they did that because the defensive end free agent market was completely barren. Then they doubled down by going with Charles Harris, which was not a bad draft pick. That's where he was projected to go by everybody. But in hindsight, I mean, come on. They brought in Lawrence Timmons after Pittsburgh cut him. Why? More band-aids with Ted Larson, Nate Allen, Anthony Fasano, TJ McDonald. All of these guys getting better than their market value on the open market from Miami because the Dolphins believed they could push them over the top even though they were lacking foundational pieces. So now we know who we are. There's no masquerade. There's no great truth hidden behind that thin veil. There's introspective thought at play here and constant evaluation of your own parts and it'll turn out glorious in just a short number of years for this team. And with that thought, we talk about constant evaluation of the roster. The Dolphins have granted permission to Patrick Graham, their defensive 
defensive coordinator to interview with the New York Giants for the same position. Just one quick thought on this, then we'll talk about the playoffs, is that continuity is not going to be a thing next year with Miami as they overturn this roster by 50%, 60% again in 2020. So why not keep evaluating your coaching staff and try to find upgrades there as well? You can't tell me he nailed all those hires. I'm not saying that Chad O'Shea and Patrick Grant were not good hires, but everyone's up for evaluation. So if you can improve, go ahead and do it. I trust Flores and what he's doing with this program. Okay, we've passed some time there. We're about 20 minutes now from kickoff in Kansas City and Houston. And I'm going to come back after the night game with Green Bay and Seattle and wrap up those two games on the podcast, as well as Miami's current draft standing. But first, let's talk about the games on Saturday. And we start with the game in San Francisco between the Vikings and the 49ers, a pretty runaway game there for the home team in San Francisco, the one seed with the Niners. And the deception of Kyle Shanahan's offense is just so awesome. I was a kid in a candy store watching that game, breaking down the plays with my friend who's a Minnesota Vikings fan. So I'm sorry they lost, Chris, but you're with us now now in the playoff bullpen, so to speak. The run action, the way they keep linebackers' eyes occupied for just a quick second, then pitch it into the vacancies created by those linebackers. Man, I would love to see a system remotely close to that here in Miami. And for the Vikings, it's just back to the drawing board. I think they got to get a lot better on the offensive front in 2020. But how about that night game where the Tennessee Titans, the sixth seed, take down the Baltimore Ravens, one of, I think, five six seeds to ever go in and knock off the number one seed since 1990 on the road in the divisional round. And we have to start with Ryan Tannehill because this dude's now 2-0 in the playoffs, one game away from playing the Super Bowl in Miami after his historic season. And I keep seeing these arguments on Twitter about how he's not doing enough for this team. Just watch the friggin' games, man, because Derrick Henry, when they were 2-4 under Mariota, averaged 3.6 yards per carry. And now, 9-3 under Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry's up to 5.4 yards per carry. And Tannehill did things this season that hadn't been done since Joe Montana, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, is that good company? I think so. It's just an interesting dichotomy to me because the argument used to be, well, yeah, he had the stats, but what about the wins with the Z? And now he's winning without the stats and the complaint flips the opposite direction. He has made big time throws in clutch situations both these last two games. He did it all year long. Yes, they are a run game based offense and Derrick Henry is the MVP of that team, but there's no way the Titans win if not for Tannehill's big conversion on third and two with his legs, for that big throw to Jonu Smith in the back of the end zone with a great catch by the way on third and 12 from the 12 yard line to get the touchdown there instead of the field goal without that 50 yard seed that he threw for a touchdown pass bad deep ball thrower huh not so much I watched every single game of Tannehill this year he did this every single week big time throws and big time spots excellent on third down moving the chains keeping the offense on schedule and if you're claiming he's just along for the ride or that Miami wasted seven years on this guy then to me you just don't get it I suppose that's fine and maybe Tannehill is who he always was a top 12 15 quarterback who can elevate his game into top five levels which he did this season very clearly but it's still totally fine to say that Miami made the right choice to let him go I think they did but as a bunch of his former teammates told you on Twitter during that performance on Saturday night, it was the Dolphins that failed Ryan Tannehill. He did not fail them. Like, we just don't have to make up reasons why this guy's not a good player. He definitely is a very good player. So the Titans are going to make him know that this year as he was a top five quarterback all year, and they're going to dump $100 million into his bank account this offseason to make sure that he's theirs for a long time. Good on you, 17. Nobody in the league deserves it more than you do. 
On the other side of the ball, I really don't want to see people trashing Lamar Jackson for losing his second consecutive playoff game after he just won the MVP and went 14-2. and He is going to be called a fraud or whatever all season long, and I guess that's the right of the fan, but I just think it's ridiculous. The Ravens will be back. They were awesome this year. They just ran into a buzzsaw, a Titans team playing very well, and they just made too many mistakes in that game. Speaking of too many mistakes, what can we learn from the Chiefs and Texans game, which just concluded, or I should be honest with you guys, it's three o'clock out here in the West, so we're late into the fourth quarter, but it is 48 to 31, so I'm going to go ahead and say the Chiefs won that game, but what did we learn from that? A great quarterback, a legendary type quarterback, maybe even a once in a generation type of quarterback can mitigate a lot of issues you have. And despite all the drop passes, the pump block for a touchdown, the special teams gaffes of the Kansas City Chiefs. They still roll out with 48 points because Patrick Mahomes is unstoppable. Eric Bieniemy is a great play caller. Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Mecole Hardman, Damian Williams, that offense is loaded and good for the Chiefs. Looks like Chiefs and Titans in the AFC Championship game. And there is where I would expect the run to end for Ryan Tannehill and those Titans. I'm going to go ahead and publish this thing before the Seahawks and Packers game happens because I don't think most of you guys care about the result of that one and you can find the results somewhere else. But there was some news that came down late on Sunday afternoon. The Dolphins have officially lost defensive coordinator Patrick Graham. He will go to the New York Giants to coach their defense in a lateral move. Remember, the Dolphins allowed Graham to interview for that position and now will grant the permission for him to take the defensive job up there with the Giants. And in replacing Patrick Graham, the Dolphins have elevated Josh Boyer, the longtime cornerback savant who has basically gotten undrafted production out of players every single year going back to the Patriots. This year with Nick Needham, we saw him get production out of Nate Brooks and Tay Hayes and Adrian Colbert. And the list goes on and on and on. And he was also the passing game coordinator for the Dolphins. And I know they weren't great in the secondary, but they were better than some teams and they weren't all time tragically bad every single week, which if you look at their talent and what those players should have been, that's probably what should have been on the field every Sunday. But because of Josh Boyer's expertise, they were passable in the secondary, so to speak. And so he is your new defensive coordinator. And perhaps we saw some of the writing on the wall when the Dolphins did hire a new defensive backs coach, the high school coach from Ohio, whose name escapes me right now, to go ahead and allow Patrick Graham to maybe seek out a job somewhere else. Or maybe they were going to fire Patrick Graham and the plan was always to promote Josh Boyer. I know he's one of the most valued coaches in that building. They never wanted to let him or Jerry Shaplinski leave that building and they made the moves they felt necessary to retain both those guys. One, in firing Chad O'Shea and giving Chan Gailey the job while he grooms Jerry Shaplinski to possibly be the future offensive coordinator here in Miami. The Dolphins, as they want to develop players on the roster every single year and overturn the roster until they get the best 53 three, they want to do the same thing with their coaching staff, and they believe developing both Shaplinski and Josh Boyer is the way to go. So, full evaluation, no one in the building is safe unless you do a great job, and that's what we see here. The Dolphins believe Shaplinski and Boyer can both do a great job for them in the future, and maybe didn't feel the same way about Chad O'Shea and Patrick Graham. And one last note before we check out on this Sunday slash Monday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast with the Texans loss to the Chiefs, Miami's draft picks are now official. They will pick fifth in the first round. The Pittsburgh pick comes in at number 18 overall, and the pick from the Texans winds up number 26 overall. So fifth, 18th, and 26th for your Dolphins 2020 first round draft picks. 
All right, that's going to be my time on the show today. We'll talk more about Josh Boyer tomorrow. We'll have the national championship game recap with Clemson and LSU. Tons of good content to come. We also have a bunch of senior bowl players to talk about here on the week and the month ahead on Locked on Dolphins. But as for today, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked on Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at Locked on Fins and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. Enjoy the games. We'll talk to you on Tuesday for another edition of the Locked on Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Thank you.